0: Hello everyone and welcome to the South Cliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Many years ago, my mother was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I remember the week when she received that diagnosis and The days that followed were filled with tests and doctor's appointments and referrals until finally we were referred to a neurosurgeon who would schedule her for a surgery to attempt to remove that brain surgery. I accompanied my mom and dad to that particular doctor's appointment and still remember well Um, As we were sitting in the room in the somber moment, this, this news just settling in, and the doctor walks into the room. He looked around the room, he looked at my mom, he looked at me, he looked at my dad, and then he addressed my father, introduced himself, and began to tell us how fortunate we were to have him as our doctor, how good he was. He talked about the fact that my mom's brain tumor was such that most neurosurgeons probably would not even attempt the surgery that he was about to attempt. And only a handful in the United States were probably qualified to bring about a good end result. And we were fortunate to have him. He continued to talk about his experience and his training and I remember sitting back at one side and looked at my dad and thought to myself as I saw his expression change this is about to get good (laughs) as the doctor continued to talk dad calmly raised his hand into the face of the doctor and he stopped and the doctor said my dad said something along these lines doctor Last week, we got the devastating news that my wife, who is your patient, has a brain tumor. This has been the hardest week of our life in the over 50 years we've been married. And to tell you the honest truth, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. So let's start over. Let me introduce you to my wife, your patient. Well, it was just about this quiet. The doctor fidgeted for a moment and apologized, introduced himself to my mom, began to talk to her about her life find out that she had two sons, found out the things she enjoyed, the things she liked, and then began to talk to her about the brain tumor that she had, the condition, and his plan to move forward. As we turn our attention to chapter 9 in the book of Romans, we continue to study through Romans Paul stops at the very beginning of the chapter to say to the people in the church at Rome, before I tell you what I know, I need to tell you that I care. In the first five verses, he stops to say, I need to talk to you about something important, but before I do that, I need to tell you that I care. There's a big change in tone that happens between chapter 9 and chapter 11. In fact, chapter 9 through 11 form a very unique section in the book of Romans. It's the toughest part of the book. Some people, when they read it, ignore it altogether. They just jump from the end of chapter 8, where we were last week, to chapter 12 and ignore 9, 10, and 11. But I think there are some important truths that Paul offers that need our attention. In the first eight chapters, as you will recall, Paul has specifically addressed the gospel message of salvation. He has talked to those who were in Rome, both Jews and Gentiles, about the fact that we are separated from God and in desperate need of a Savior. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. He has said to the Jewish people, you are not going to heaven because of your heritage. You're not going to heaven because you are abraham's child you're not going to heaven because you practice judaism you must come to a place where you understand you are a sinner separated from god and only through jesus is there an offer of salvation you come to faith in christ the same way the gentiles do and in fact both jews and gentiles come to know the reality of salvation in jesus And then he ends that section in chapter 8 with the text we looked at last time we were together when he said, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But before he goes on, he recognizes that he needs to address a question that is most certainly to arise in the heart of the Jewish believers that are a part of the church at Rome. Paul recognizes that they would have this question and anticipates and even answers it here because some of them would say, well, yes it's true that God offers salvation but here's my question for you. In spite of the fact that God has done that, so few Jews have ever been saved. Most of the 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 revival we see among the church is among Gentiles, and Jews are not coming to faith in Christ. And so the Jewish believers that were there might recognize that, in spite of all that happens with so few of the Jews coming to Christ, and in light of the rejection of the Jews, they had this question Has God's purpose to bless the Jews failed? has the promises that God made to the Jewish people failed? Because if we can't trust God's promises to the Jewish people, how can I trust the promises you just made in chapter 8, Paul, where you said that God promises all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose? And if God didn't keep his promise with the Jewish people, how can I trust him to keep the promise that Nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. So Paul is about to, in chapter 9, go back into the Old Testament, into the history, and prove that God's purpose for the Jews has not failed. But before he does that, he simply says this, before I tell you what I know, I need to tell you I need you to know that I care. And he does that in the first five verses. Now, the reason he does is because many had at this point in Paul's ministry claimed that he was a traitor. Some of the Jewish people had said he is preaching to the Gentiles. His focus on the Gentiles As an evangelist to the Gentiles, he's turned his back on the nation of Israel. He has rejected the Jews. They even accused Paul of lying. Some wanted to kill him and do away with any ministry because he had betrayed his own people. So the perception that many had of Paul was not good, which is not really that different from us today, is it? You notice that today the world's perception of Christians is not really that good. I've heard a common phrase recently where people say, well, I don't have any problem with Jesus. I just have a problem with Christians. The perception that people have of you as a child of God, is me, as the church, is not good. Barna did research some years ago and put together a a project and asked questions of non-Christians between the ages of 16 and 29. And this is what he wanted to discover. What is your current perception of Christians? For the age 16 to 29, what is your current perception of Christians? And this is what he found. 91% of them said Christians are anti-homosexual. 87% said they're judgmental. Eighty-five percent said they're hypocritical. Seventy-eight percent said they're old-fashioned, whatever that means. Seventy-five percent says they're too involved in politics. Seventy-two percent said they're out of touch with reality. Seventy percent said they're insensitive to others. That's what the world's saying about you. That's what the world is saying about me. We could add to the list now. But what Paul does in the first five verses of chapter 9 is to help, he offers truth that will help us turn the perception that people have about the church and about Christians. He offers five things that, that he does to, to, to address the misconception and perception that they have about him. And, and I think he offers that same truth for us. So with that in mind, let's look at those five verses, beginning with verse 1, chapter 9, where we picked up leave where we left off last week. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow, increased grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption as sons, the glory of the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service and promises, who's our fathers and from whom is Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. In those five verses, Paul offers truth that enables him to combat the false perception that they have of him and perhaps gives us insight into how that we can overcome the false perception that the world we live in has against us. So let's look at those five things that he does. First of all, and if you're taking notes, let's look at them together. First of all, Paul says that that in order to fight this, we must embrace the truth that we are to focus on others more than we focus on ourselves. The first thing that we've got to do as a child of God is we've got to focus on others more than we focus on ourselves. As a church, we've got to begin to focus on others more than we focus on ourselves. And actually, I think this is a tough one because you and I live in a society that has become a selfie society, right? I mean, I did a funeral earlier this week for an individual, and they had gathered some pictures of their mom and grandmom and great grandmom. And and I heard him make this comment. He said, I had a hard time finding pictures of mom because she was always the one behind the camera. She was always the one taking the picture. So we didn't have a lot of pictures of her from many of those experiences of our life. And I thought to myself, well, you don't have to worry about that anymore. We're front center, you know Everybody stand behind me, and let me just take a selfie here and put myself in the mirror. We become such a, a, a self-centered group of people, even to the point that as a selfie society, we present ourselves as having it all together. It's amazing, the things we post. Even the filters that are out there. I did a series on no filter. You remember that? But there are filters out there. I've seen pictures of people on Facebook and I'm thinking to myself, I know you and you do not look like that. (laughs) I am sorry. I don't know who you think you're fooling, but you don't look like that. I don't know what you did, but you did something. My, My wife and I went on a cruise one time and and they had these photographers on the cruise and you could go to the back and the sunset in the back and take these romantic pictures. And so we had the photographer come and take pictures on that deck of the ship and and man, the sunset. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment. And we took those pictures and then we had to review those pictures. I never will forget when we sat down to review the pictures. My wife, as beautiful as she always was, and I'm looking at myself saying, Whoa, wait a minute, what happened to me? I don't even recognize myself. Because I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I got these things, right? You know, these, these, these wrinkles, they're, they're not there. And I've got these things are called crow feet, and I'm looking, at they're not there. I look like, man, I look like I'm just a brand new guy. You know, we bought one of those pictures, brought it home. You know, what, my son said, oh, dad, that looks like a funeral picture. We can't even hang it on the wall, you know? I'm like, proud. No. They, what they were saying is, that's not you. I don't know who that is standing by mom, but it is not you. But we live in a world today that, that our, our social media infatuation and our social media addiction tempts us to post stuff and put stuff out there that makes us look like we have it all together when we don't. It's created a selfishness in us that has allowed us to associate with people that are just like us and block anybody that has a different worldview or a different idea than we do. It has created a world for Christians where we are more and more and more isolated from the world. All of our friends are Christians. We send our kids to Christian schools. We go to Christian events. And I'm not saying that, 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 that we have to embrace the world, but I am saying we have to live in it. And we need to learn to listen to people who don't agree with us, who have a different worldview, who don't believe like we do, And we need to have honest and civil conversations. Of course, there are some people that we have to avoid, but but we've got to begin to develop relationships with people that are far from God. I've intentionally done this through the years. I've got friends of mine who live lifestyles that are absolutely different than mine and are against everything God teaches. But they're my friends. I've got friends that don't even believe God exists. I'm not even sure I believe in God. And they're my friends. We've got to come to the place today where we engage people who are different than we are. Paul Paul doesn't turn away from the folks who are against him, even the ones who are, in in essence, his enemies. He, He just simply shows them that he cares. He just accepts them as they are and loves them where they are, receives them as they are, but secondly, we notice this: not only does he and is, is it in, imperative that we that we focus on others more than ourselves it 's also important that we show compassion and not condemnation notice how Paul refers to the people that hate him in the text. These are the people that are against him. And he doesn't call them Christ-haters. He doesn't call them reprobates. He doesn't call them heathens. He doesn't call them Christ-killers. You know what he calls them? My brothers, my kinsmen. My brothers and my kinsmen. And instead of condemning them, he reveals his heart to them with two parallel thoughts He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish when I think about you. Have you ever noticed how people throughout Scripture who have a a genuine heart for God, how they respond to sin and unbelief in other people? It breaks their hearts. The the, the psalmist writes, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep the law. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet who says, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain daughters of my people. Jesus often looked at those who were distressed and hurting, lost like a sheep without a shepherd, and he wept. And Paul in Acts chapter 20 serves the people at Ephesus, he says, with tears. Now, I'm not saying that we have to ignore sin, but I am saying that we shouldn't expect people that are not Christians to live like they are. And we shouldn't expect people that don't read the Bible to live according to the principles of the Bible. We've got to recognize where they are, and and, and we've got to treat them with compassion, not condemnation, because here's the problem. When we treat others with condemnation rather than compassion... We push them away from the only one who can change them. The only one that can change their heart and their life is Jesus. And if we push them away from him, they'll never come to him. And so it's with compassion, not condemnation, that we look at others. Well, 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 wait a minute, pastor. I don't, you know, you're, you're talking about developing a relationship. Isn't there more? Yeah, he continues. Look at the next thing. It's important that number four, we are number three. We share the truth and love. Now, I want to tell you as a pastor, being a pastor as long as I have, I have heard this phrase misused. I have heard people use the term share truth and love often as a phrase to justify harsh words. I've even seen people use this phrase to justify judgmental attitude that they have for other people. But I will say this. If you love people, you got to speak the truth. Truth and love go together, don't they? If I love you and I know something bad is going to happen to you, I have to tell you. I'm compelled to tell you because I love you. If If I don't tell you, I don't love you. In fact, I like what Warren Wiersbe says about this when he says, Truth without love is brutality. When I tell the truth without loving you, it is brutal. But if I love without truth, it's hypocrisy. If I act like I love you, but I don't tell you the truth, if I say that I love you, if I build relationships with you, but I never tell you the gospel, if I build relationships with people that are far from God and have a different worldview than I do, but I never take the opportunity to communicate to them, what am I saying? I believe you're going to spend eternity in hell, and I'm saying I love you, and I do nothing to tell you the truth. No, we've got to speak the truth in love. We build bridges into the lives of other people through compassion and and loving them where they are, but we build bridges into their lives so that we can cross the bridge at some point to share the truth. And we earn the right to share the truth as we love people where they are, accept them as they are, share the truth, in love. That's what Paul does. He does both things in the text before us. He begins by saying that he, he loves them, and I'm not lying, and I'm telling you the truth. And I and the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth that I'm offering to you. But his heart for them gives him the right to communicate. Well, the fifth thing that he does, the fourth thing is this. If we're to to turn the perception of the world, I think we've got to focus on others more than ourselves. We've got to show compassion, not condemnation. We've got to speak the truth, but we do it in love. And and we share the story of God's love and grace and the forgiveness that he offers. But then we also, number four, need to sacrifice for the gospel. In verse 3, Paul makes a stunning claim. Paul says... I wish I could swap places with my fellow Jews. The very people who have rejected Jesus, I I wish I could swap places with them. I would, this is what Paul is saying. I am so concerned about the condition of the heart of people that are far from God. I, I would go to hell so that you could go to heaven. That's how desperate Paul was to see them come to faith in Christ. His heart for them and his passion for them was so bold. Listen, I want to tell you, that kind of love, that kind of burden will win this world to Jesus. And I'm not sure it'll ever happen until the people of God have that kind of heart for their family. Now, I want you to understand that the statement that Paul makes here when he says, I want to swap places with you, this is an emotional statement. It is not a theological statement. It's an emotional statement. Paul is not saying it's possible to do that. He is not saying, I'm going to put myself. He knows. He has already established the fact that, that I can't be baptized in your behalf and in your name. I can't accept Jesus on your behalf. I, you've got to make that decision yourself. Jesus came for you. And until you understand that you are a sinner separated from God and that Jesus came and lived and died on offered salvation, there's nothing. You have to make that decision on your own. Paul's not saying, I Am gonna make that decision for others. He's just simply saying this: If I could, I would. I would go to hell so that the nation of Israel could could come to faith in Christ. You know what's amazing? That's not that unusual. Moses did the same thing. Do you remember this? Moses went up on the mountaintop to receive the Ten Commandments. He received the commandments, came down, discovered that the nation of Israel already turned their back. They were worshiping a golden calf. And, and after that experience, the next day, G- Moses goes back up on the mountain, and he intercedes for the people. And you know what he says? God, forgive them. And if you don't forgive them, then blot my name out of your book. God was almost done with them. You know, I'm going to start over again with you. And Moses said, no, 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 no. God, you forgive them. I guess it brings us to this question. What are you willing to sacrifice to see your family come to know Jesus? If you've got children that don't know Christ, do you know where they're headed? You've got a husband and a wife. You got a mom and a dad you got a brother or a sister you've got friends that don't know jesus i'm going to ask you a question what are you willing to sacrifice that they could come to christ what are you willing to give up because i'm going to tell you something it's going to cost you i i, I ask you the question you're willing to give the time that's needed i am convinced of this nobody's going to come to faith in christ that we don't pray for and it's going to be the kind of prayer that 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 we have to pray every day calling their name out before the father are you willing to give that kind of time to prayer to see your family saved are you willing to give up your pride so that you can share the gospel. Maybe you don't know how to share the gospel or how I need to do that, and and, and you're too proud to ask or to find out some plans and methods that you can put into place. Are you willing to give up your system or your position? Are you willing to sacrifice your money? Is it possible that some of you are so focused on a pursuit and a career and success in life that you don't have time to share message of Christ with those that are around you? What are you willing to sacrifice for others to come to know Christ? What are you willing to give? Are you willing to embrace an attitude that says, whatever it takes, I am not going to stop until they know Jesus. I'm going to pray like I have never prayed before. I'm going to spend more time in prayer than I've ever spent before. I'm going to plead with God that he would work in the lives of my family and my friends, and I'm going to call them out to him by name, and I'm going to make myself available to him. It, 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 Requires that we focus on others, not self. That we have compassion, not condemnation. That we share the truth and love and that we sacrifice for the gospel. And the final thing that I kind of recognize that Paul does through this, that, that he embodies throughout his ministry, I would put in this form for number five. Tell everybody. We need to develop the kind of, uh, of life that enables us to tell everybody of the grace And mercy and love of God that we've received. If I can say it for you, I'd say it this way. Listen, don't say no for people. We have a tendency to think, well, who do I need to share the gospel with or share faith? I don't want to share the faith with them because they're not going to accept. Don't say no for people. God may be, if you pray for him, he's already working in their heart to prepare them for that message, that opportunity, that seed that we can plant in their life. Always be ready. Don't think others will not respond because often we think, well, they're not going to respond. They're hard and they've grown up and they've got just an attitude and they don't. No, God is at work in their life. Don't think because other people go to church. Well, they already know. You know, it's, true that the church is filled with people today that are trusting baptism to get them to heaven and have never come to the realization that no I've got to make a decision for Jesus and ask him to forgive me of my sin and come into my life and 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 then the thought with it is this always be ready to share your story of faith if you share if you join our church one of the things that you have to do and, and and nobody seems to like it uh, it, it's a, it's a challenge. You know, we, we just love to join the church, just shake hands and join the church. We, we ask you to actually write out your story of how you came to Christ. And, and, and this is what I believe every one of you, if you're a child of God, every one of you should be able to say or tell your story in two to three minutes. You ought to be able to do that. And if you can't do that, I'll help you do that. Email me and there are four questions I'll give you and we'll help dialogue to help you in the process. But, but it, it really involves this. How, uh, what was my life like before I met Jesus? How did I come to meet Jesus as my Savior? What's my life um, or, or, or how did I come to recognize my need for Christ? How did I come to Christ? And then what's my life been like since? For, for me, I, man, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I was, I, man, I acted like a Christian before I was ever born. I came to church. I, man, I, I had all the right answers. But the one thing that was a nagging issue for me as a child is I had this intense fear of dying. Man, I, 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 would, I remember going to sleep at night. And I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of dying during the night. I would pull the covers up over my head. And then how did I come to faith and know that I needed Jesus? So I was nine years old, and I was in Bible school, vacation Bible school, and I heard the story I'd heard a hundred times, but all of a sudden I began to realize something that I'd never realized before. Jesus died for me. And I'm not going to heaven because my dad's a preacher, my brother believes, and my mom believes. I've got to make a decision myself, and I've never done that. I'm a sinner. I realize that. So how did I become a Christian? Well, I asked God to forgive me of my sin and invited him in my life. Walked to my dad's room in the, at night and said, I know that I'm not a Christian and I want to accept You, Jesus as my savior, dad. And so dad slipped off his bed and I prayed and said, God, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but I believe Jesus, you came and lived and died and rose again and I ask you to come into my life and be my savior and Lord. And what's my life been like since then? Well, you know a lot of it, but let me tell you the first step. I walked across the hall, got back in my bed, and for the first time in my little nine-year-old life, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid. I could sleep with the covers down. and In fact, I could sleep on top of the covers. I wasn't afraid. And what God did for me, he can do for you. Do you see? It's the story of your life. And every one of us have a story. And as we begin to share that with other people, that's what Paul does in the text before us. In verses 4 and 5, he lists eight advantages that the Jews had over everybody else. But then he comes back to say, but don't think that that's going to make you a believer. You still have to come to a place Will you accept Jesus as your Savior? Well, I think we live in a world today that doesn't really care what we know until they know that we care. Focus on others. Compassion, not condemnation. Share the truth and love. Sacrifice for the gospel, whatever it takes. And tell everyone you know what God's done for you. And that he can do the same for them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today. Man, this is a tough one for me. Because so many in the world have a perception that we, as your followers, are mean-spirited and angry and bitter. And I just pray that we would, we would turn the perceptions, starting with everybody that knows us, so that they can say, well, the only Christian I know is this person, and he's not like that. Let us become that so that your church can be the church you've called us to be. For those that are believers, help us, Father, to to embrace these truths and say yes to what you're saying to us, Holy Spirit. For those that are here that have never accepted Jesus, may this be the day that they receive him as their saviors. Our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com. To share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.